Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home, and I can tell you... I know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. Hey guys, welcome back to Thick and Thin with me, Katie Bilotti, and dare I say it, I am feeling a little bit chilly right now, and I'm like totally beaming ear to ear saying this to you guys because I love fall, I love chilly weather, not like, okay, freezing weather, I'm not a huge fan of, but like that like nice, crispy, like crunchy, chilly weather of fall, that is my happy, my happy time of year, and I feel like out here in Los Angeles, I was kind of mourning fall. Like I missed it. I missed fall on the East Coast and I felt like, okay, like this is it. I've kind of like sealed my fate here. I'm never going to get fall ever again. But I woke up this morning and I was like in my in my duvet, like all snuggled up and I felt like a little chill hit my cheek from my open window. And I'm like, you are kidding me. It is fall in Los Angeles. Today has been a chilly day. I can't believe it. It might actually rain on Sunday, which is also a huge thing because it doesn't rain here. So crazy stuff happening all around. I think the universe just knows that it's my birthday on Tuesday and it just doesn't feel like my birthday if it isn't like a little bit crispy. And I say crispy, not in like the context of like a crispy chicken sandwich, but like a crispy air sort of feeling slash smell like there is kind of like a distant bonfire somewhere it just smells like leaves whatever leaves smell like not the like decomposing ones like the nice ones like the fresh ones and then like well the crunchy ones and then also like mulled cider and like just all of those things wrapped into one that is what it feels like when it, it truly is fall and I feel like out here in LA I just like haven't gotten that and so it doesn't really feel like my birthday is on Tuesday like it really doesn't feel like that so the universe decided to bless me with some crispy crunchy air this morning some cool air and I'm sitting here kind of chilly not gonna lie so anyway it's taking me like two and a half minutes to describe this but I'm I'm overall just feeling great because I'm chilly <laughs> overall not everyone can relate to that I get it but I do miss the full like seasons concept. I know I've only been here for a few months, but I've been told that you just don't get 
all the seasons here, of course. Um, it also hasn't rained since I've been here. It's supposed to rain on Sunday, so maybe that explains the cooler weather. I'm not quite sure, but anyway, so that is just what we're dealing with this morning. Um, I'm also just in a good mood today, honestly. I remember, of course, like recording last week and feeling kind of down just because of the nature of the episode last week. I was talking about therapy. I was talking about some hard stuff that I'm dealing with, but it's been a week later, and I feel... Honestly, like my spirits are higher. I'm feeling more hopeful. I'm feeling just a lot better, honestly. I know I left things in kind of like an unsettled place after last week's episode, but I had another therapy session um, after that, and I've really been just getting on the right foot of working through my issues, my issues to put it lightly um, or not so lightly. But yeah, I'm just working through it. I'm dealing with it, taking it day by day. Things are going to be okay. They might not be okay now, and that's fine, but they will be. And you know what? That's the great part about birthdays. It feels like a fresh new page is awaiting me. Come next week, come Wednesday, I guess, once, you know, 25 hits. And I'm not going to feel 25. I still feel like perpetually 18. Like, I don't know if that's something everyone else feels, but I still feel like I get nervous walking into liquor stores and like driving a car. I can barely go five miles over the speed limit because I'm nervous because I'm young and dumb, but I'm not young and dumb anymore. I'm still young, but I'm not dumb. Maybe I'm not like as young. Anyway, regardless, but I'm excited for this fresh new page. I'm excited for a new year of possibilities of attempting to get it right, honestly. And it's feeling great. I, you know, I I have like some little cute things planned, nothing too crazy, like honestly, like a dinner at this like great Italian place here, like nothing too crazy because of, you know, COVID. And also I'm just like not really a birthday diva anymore. I feel like I used to be, but then birthdays just became less exciting, just like because I don't know one happens every year and like it just becomes like okay cool like yeah I was born so I see it as a fresh page but I'm also not too hype about it in terms of like social stuff and like all that um yeah I I mean my parents were like what do you want this year for your birthday and I'm like um I don't need anything so nothing please and then they like pressed on me and so I decided on a nice art easel so the box is actually sitting right next to me I haven't opened it yet I'm being a good girl I'm waiting until my actual birthday to open it but I've been needing an easel because I've been doing a lot of painting if you guys follow me on Instagram you guys would know that but I've been doing it like on the floor on a drop cloth and I really need it like an easel and I'm staring actually at the apartment across from me right now and the girl has like the most amazing easel set up I can like see it because her door is always wide open and you can see her just sitting there painting and it's like honestly very inspiring to watch her do that um I wonder if she watches me just like talk to my (laughs) microphone like probably she's like what is this girl on anyway but yeah she inspired me to get an easel so this girl that I don't know and so I told my parents to get me an easel and that is what happened so I will be opening it on Tuesday. Regardless, fresh new page, birthday, therapy, life is good, awesome stuff. Uh, But yeah, we're back with another episode. I should probably tell you guys what we're going to talk about today because I've already wasted like five and a half minutes talking about crunchy leaves and (laughs) easels. So Anyway, uh, today's episode is going to be great. We're going to be talking about a lot of my favorite things. So we're going to talk about some books. Uh, You guys know how much I love books. I actually have four books sitting right in front of me right here um, that are in the queue. Well, actually, three of them are in the queue. One of them I'm reading currently. And I want to give you guys like a little synopsis of each and, you know, kind of just introduce you guys to these books because so many of you all on Instagram recommended them to me. And so clearly they're amazing reads. And if you are looking for a nice read to cuddle snuggle up to this fall winter 
I have you covered with these four books that are apparently amazing. So yeah, we're going to get into that. Um, Then we're also going to tell a tale from history. You guys know how much I love them. It's honestly been a hot second since, or hot minute, I guess, since I have had a story on the podcast. So today is going to be an extra special one because honestly, I think this is one of my favorites that I've ever told. Well, I haven't told it yet because we're in the beginning of the episode, but you know what I mean. It's like the favorite, my favorite story that I've researched because it honestly kept just unraveling in a way that I didn't expect from the from the get-go. So today I'll be sharing the story of Martha Gellhorn. She is a trailblazer in women's history. I had no idea who she was until I I have this list going of people that you guys recommend me to look into because I've kind of exhausted my own personal list of like people that I look up to, women from history, etc. And so I consulted my list and I just do a quick Google search and then like deeper dive, of course, after I decide who I want to talk about. And I stumbled across this article when I first quickly Google searched Martha Gellhorn about, well, actually a lot of the articles, basically like every article that like first pops up when you Google her has to do with her husband of five years. She was married to him for five years, Ernest Hemingway, which you might have heard of. And I feel like everyone's heard of Ernest Hemingway and he is so largely documented. And then I've never heard of Martha Gellhorn. That could just be me. But I hated that like all of the articles that popped up after I looked her up were related to her husband that she was only married to for five years. And she, I would you know, go on to learn has done so much in her life or did so much. She passed away, but, and no one really talks about her. So I just was a little bit outraged, like on her behalf. And I've decided to give her full story justice today. To put it simply, she was a badass. She was fierce. She was a force to be reckoned with back in her time. And she still makes waves today. Um, She was an author and war correspondent, one of the first female war correspondents. And she really went where no woman had gone before in so many ways. So I'm going to talk about her later on in the episode. I want to make sure that her story is so known because she tends to only be a footnote note in Ernest Hemingway's story, which is just not fair, honestly. So yeah, we're going to talk about her today, but in true thick and thin fashion, we got some things to cover before that. We got some ground to cover. So let's start off with something that brings me a lot of joy. I've been talking with my therapist about joy a lot recently and how focusing on joy and bringing joy into your life isn't selfish. It's a part of honestly keeping yourself going through hard times, you know, infusing your life with tiny moments of joy and things that make you happy and all those things. So I do get a significant amount of joy from reading books. So I want to talk to you guys about these four books that I have in the queue. So the first one I'm going to start out with is the one that I'm actually reading currently. I have the other three waiting for when I finish this one. And this one I was just told so many times in my DMs, like you have to read this, whatever. I got a couple people saying it was overrated, But I haven't gotten to the end yet, so I'll have to tell you guys what I feel when I finish it. But so far, it's keeping me going. The way it's written actually really reminds me of Normal People. If you guys read that book, I read that, I guess, last year this time before the show came out uh, this year. And I honestly, like, I think this is an unpopular opinion, but I actually didn't love it. (laughs) Like, I feel like I'm going to get hated on for that. I thought it was just like, it was really good and it kept me going. And then all of a sudden, it just like, 
I was like, ugh, towards the end. I don't know what happened. And maybe that's just like a personal thing. I actually haven't even watched the show because I just didn't love the ending of the book. And I guess it's like supposed to, I don't know. I'm not going to like spoil anything, but I just wasn't a huge fan. That might be unpopular, an unpopular opinion that I have, but that was my, my decision on that. And so Tell Me Lies is actually kind of written similarly, but I have a feeling the ending might be like more juicy and kind of crazy than normal people. So it's by, the author's name is Carola Lovering. Um, Carola, Carola, I hope I'm saying that right. And so I want to read like a little synopsis that was like on the inside of the book. So Lucy Albright is far from her Long Island upbringing when she arrives on the campus of her small California college and happy to be hundreds of miles away from her mother, whom she's never forgiven for an act of betrayal in her early teen years. Grasping at her fresh start, Lucy embraces college life and all that it has to offer. And then she meets Stefan DeMarco, charming, attractive, complicated, devastating. Confident and cocksure, Stefan sees something in Lucy that no one else has, and she's quickly seduced by this vision of herself and the sense of possibility that his attention brings her. Meanwhile, Stefan is determined to forget an incident buried in his past, buried, wait, buried? I don't know why I said it like that. Buried in his past that, if exposed, could ruin him, and his single-minded drive for success extends to winning and keeping Lucy's heart. Lucy knows there's something about Stefan that isn't to be trusted, Stephen knows Lucy can't tear herself away, and their addicting entanglement will have consequences they could never have imagined. So it kind of reminds me of Fifty Shades, but a kind of younger version. And honestly, like, I am, like, here for the drama. Like, I I like the book so far because it, like, takes me away from, like, my current life and like what I'm dealing with in my current life and so it feels nice to get like an escape in someone else's romance like it's kind of interesting um so yeah I like it so far I think I'm about like I think I'm looking at my bedside table I am just about a little over halfway done with the book and I like it so far I can tell something's about to like boil over and happen like I think someone was like murdered or something like I I'm interested in how it's gonna go so that is a good one so far that one was recommended so many times over um again some people said it was overrated so I will let you guys know what I think when I get to the end but Tell Me Lies by Carola Lovering that is number one Second one is called A Sky Painted Gold by Laura Wood. And this one is a little bit, well, I'll read the the synopsis and then tell you guys what I think it's going to be like. So, okay, setting the stage. It is the summer of 1929. Lou Trevelyan is a small town girl with big dreams of becoming a writer. Then she meets the Cardew siblings, the bubbly Caitlin and her handsome enigmatic brother, Robert. Lou is swept into their glittering whirlwind of moonlit parties, unrivaled glamour, and whispered secrets. As she falls deeper into the world of high society, Lou must find a way to stay true to herself and her heart. I love old school books like based in the 20s. I just like love everything that they usually entail. So I was really drawn to this one. A lot of you guys recommended it. It had stunning reviews. So I got my hands on it. And this one is probably gonna be my next one because I like swapping between like current, like modern stories and then like old stories and then modern again and then like off and on like that. So this one will probably be my next one. So that is book number two. Okay, book number three. Okay, this one is definitely more in the category of like mythical and like not like real life sort of thing. There always has to be one of these on my list because I just love like, I I wouldn't say it's like sci-fi, but it's in the realm of like Harry Potter, I guess. Okay, so it's called The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue by V.E. Schwab. And okay, here's the synopsis. France, 1714. 
colon. In a moment of desperation, a young woman makes a Faustian bargain to live forever and is cursed to be forgotten by everyone she meets. Thus begins the extraordinary life of Addie LaRue and a dazzling adventure that will play out across centuries and continents, across history and art, as a young woman learns how far she will go to leave her mark on the world. But everything changes when, after nearly 300 years, Addie stumbles across a young man in a hidden bookstore and he remembers her name. Dun dun dun. (laughs) It sounds interesting because... Imagine like living forever, but then no one remembers you. Like after meeting you, you you never have a single friend or like a single relative or like it just sounds so interesting. Like it sounds like someone's like high thoughts, honestly, and they like came up with this concept. I am very interested in figuring out what happens in this book. I don't know a single thing. I'm just basing it off the synopsis that it sounds really good. Okay. Fourth and final book that is in the queue. This one, again, got stunning reviews from you guys, so I'm extremely excited to dive into it. It's called The Guest List by Lucy Foley. This one sounds dramatic as hell. Okay, it says, The bride, the plus one. The best man, the wedding planner. The bridesmaid, the body. On an island off the coast of Ireland, guests gather to celebrate two people joining their lives together as one. The groom, handsome and charming, a rising television star. The bride, smart and ambitious, a magazine publisher. It's a wedding for a magazine or for a celebrity. The designer dress, the remote location, the luxe party favors, the boutique whiskey. The cell phone service may be spotty and the waves may be rough, but every detail has been expertly planned and will be expertly executed. As the champagne is popped and the festivities begin, resentments and petty jealousies begin to mingle with the reminiscence and well wishes. The groomsmen begin the drinking game from their school days. The bridesmaid not so accidentally ruins her dress. The bride's oldest male friend gives an uncomfortably caring toast and then someone turns up dead. Who didn't wish the happy couple well? And perhaps more important, why? Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good and then a bang in the night and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home and I can tell you, I know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. 
but those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. So that one sounds extremely spooky. I love a good murder mystery, so I'm intrigued. I'm going to try to blow through the others. I don't know the, the order I'm going to go in, but I've been told this one is like the creme de la creme, so maybe this one will be next. Who knows? I'm going to try to knock out a lot of books now and or I guess between now and like Christmas time because I'm doing a little bit of traveling. Don't get too carried away with it. I'm going home for Thanksgiving for a bit. So that I then I will have time to read. So yeah, these are some books that I was told I absolutely need to read via Instagram. So thank you guys for these recommendations. Always send them my way. I love hearing about new books I need to be reading because I do read one book every three weeks, like clockwork. I am such a reader. So thank you for giving me a platform where I can talk about my books with you guys. And I hope that it doesn't bore you to death because it it very well could and no one tells me. So slide in my DMs. Let me know what you guys think of talking my books and like just overall my episode today. Um, I love your feedback. Okay. So anyway, let's get into the story of Martha Gellhorn because I've been bursting at the seams, just like so excited to share it with you guys. So let's do it. Okay. Why should I be a footnote in someone else's life? Martha Gellhorn boldly proclaimed in an interview where the reporter was comparing her writing style to that of her ex-husband, Ernest Hemingway's. She'd written plenty before meeting Hemingway and plenty after meeting Hemingway, after divorcing him. And so why do people associate her as just one of Hemingway's many wives? This is what drew me to Martha's story in particular, how much she fought throughout her life to write powerful stories to capture the truth no matter what, and yet people still ruthlessly compared her to Hemingway, to a man. And so, in a nutshell, Martha was a fiction writer and one of the first female war correspondents, journalists, and traveled the world reporting on wars and conflicts for over 60 years. At the time, many people thought that reporting was, of course, a man's job, and so she had a very hard time getting the credentials to report in certain places places so she got super creative she was bold she went where no woman had gone before and overall her work changed war reporting as we know it she opened endless new doors for female reporters among other things a new york times article from the 90s actually her obituary in the times describes martha gellhorn as quote a cocky raspy voiced maverick who saw herself as a champion of ordinary people trapped in conflicts created by the rich and powerful So justice and getting justice for people, reporting the truth, that was the bread and butter of what she did. So let's take things to the beginning of her story. So Martha Gellhorn was born on November 8th, 1908 in St. Louis, Missouri. Her mother Edna was a suffragist and her father George was a German-born gynecologist. And at just seven years old, Martha was a part of the Golden Lane, which was a rally for women's suffrage at the Democratic Party's 1916 National Convention in St. Louis at just seven years old. I mean, this has got to be inspired by her mom, but at an early age, Martha was immediately exposed to just the whole concept of rallying for women's rights and how important being a feminist is and all of those things. And so at the rally, women were carrying these yellow parasols and wearing yellow sashes. They lined both sides of a main street leading to the St. Louis Coliseum. And Martha and this other girl stood in the very front of the line representing future voters. 
voters. So she was front and center at this movement, really got a lot of exposure from that. And so from there, she attended a progressive private school that her parents apparently founded in St. Louis. I didn't find a lot of data on that or a lot of data, a lot of uh, sources on that. But I I saw in one that that apparently her parents had founded it. Um, But then in 1926, she enrolled in Bryn Mawr College located uh, not too far outside of Philly. And so she left the school actually one year after enrolling without graduating to just dive right on into her journalism career at just 18 she was ready to go ready to just write some stuff and put it out into the world which is honestly really inspiring so she began writing for this publication called the new republic and then soon after became a crime reporter for a local newspaper in albany so she was really getting her feet wet with journalism at this time and then in 1930 at just 22 years old she was so determined to become a foreign correspondent that she packed up and went to France for two years. She worked at the United Press Bureau in Paris, but she was fired after she reported sexual harassment from a co-worker, which is interesting. I was trying to find more details on this, but there isn't much out there. But that must have been just devastating for her. So for a time after that, she did some odd jobs. She apparently modeled for Chanel and other couture brands. Like I guess she dips her toe into that as well while also still writing. But yeah, she did some odd jobs. She remained in Paris. And while she was there, she met this French writer named Bertrand de Juvenel, who actually introduced her to the political and literary elite of 1930s France. Probably got into a lot of crazy things out there, but they got married or at least presented themselves as husband and wife, apparently. It was not super clear whether or not he ever actually successfully divorced his previous wife. So he was like married when they were together. Um, Kind of unclear what was happening there, but she was young and this was her first of several, quote, marriages or affairs. She would go on to actually sleep with a lot of married men, which is really interesting. Um, But yeah, she definitely was adventurous. So she stayed overseas with this first quote husband and then spent years traveling Europe, writing for various newspapers in Paris and St. Louis, while also covering fashion for Vogue, which is really interesting. Um, And then she returned to the U.S. She definitely preferred being overseas, but she returned to St. Louis in 1932 when she was 24, and she went on to do some more traveling in the U.S. She does a lot of traveling throughout her life. She traveled to the American Southwest as a reporter for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. And while she was on the road, she actually wrote a novel called What Mad Pursuit with a protagonist in the novel seeming to be very much like herself. So she was a very cynical female reporter who has many love affairs. And so this book may or may not have been inspired by true events. I actually want to get my hands on it and read it for myself. She has so many novels, actually. We're going to go on to talk about more of them. But anyway, so somehow in one way or another, I'm not sure how she struck up this connection, but Martha Gellhorn was hired by this man named Harry Hopkins, who was Secretary of Commerce and Franklin Delano Roosevelt's close confidant. He was high up in the White House, and she had apparently met him through her friendship with First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt. Super casual friendship with the First Lady of the United States after being abroad. Like, how did she do this? I don't know. This woman had a tendency to talk her way into so many things. It's just inspiring. So essentially, she was invited to to live at the White House, kind of like a bed and breakfast sort of thing. And she spent evenings there helping Eleanor write correspondence and her My Day column that was in a publication called Women's Home Companion. So she was there a lot. And from there, she was hired as a field investigator for the 
Federal Emergency Relief Administration, or FERA. And this was created by FDR to end the Great Depression, part of the New Deal. And so later, she worked with Dorothy Lange. Lange? Lange? I've never said that out loud. And she's actually, I mean, you might have heard of her. She's a famous photographer who essentially is synonymous with the Great Depression. Like, you've definitely seen her images of just miserable-looking people during the Depression. Um, They have so much power to them. And so she worked alongside her to document the everyday lives of the hungry and homeless people um, in America. And their reports have actually become part of the official government files for the Great Depression. And they were just super revolutionary, too. They were able to investigate topics that were not usually open to women of the 1930s. So it was really groundbreaking stuff. And she was so young when this was happening. She was in her 20s at this time. And so uh, actually a true example of Martha's character and her daring, fiery side. So in Idaho, she was doing Farrah work. Um, And while she was there, she actually convinced a group of workers to break the windows of the Farah office, like the office that she worked in, to draw attention to their corrupt and crooked boss. And so although this worked in the workers' favor and, you know, all was well there, I guess, she was fired from Farah for obvious reasons. Um, But yeah, she really championed what was right and justice, all of those things. And then at some point during all this, she separated from her first French husband. So we don't really know how or when that happened, but he was out of the picture. And that brings us to the part of the story where Ernest Hemingway enters the picture. So this fateful meeting happened around Christmas time in 1936. Martha was just 28 years old and Hemingway was 37 at the time that they met. And she really admired Hemingway's writing. And so they somehow managed to meet at Sloppy Joe's Bar in Key West, Florida. They drank and became fast friends. And Martha described Hemingway during this encounter as, quote, a large, dirty, man in untidy, somewhat soiled white shorts and shirts. And at this time, he was still married to his second wife, Pauline, but the two really hit it off, and he told her about his upcoming travels to Spain to cover the Spanish Civil War. And so she was really intrigued by this and decided to tag along. She packed up and went to soon after Hemingway left, and as we know, she was deeply interested in becoming a war correspondent, and this was kind of her foot in the door, so to speak. I don't think it was purely because of him that she decided to go. I don't think she's like that, but I guess it was just convenient that he was going to be there. So she landed in Madrid in the spring of 1937 with only a single knapsack and 50 bucks to her name to cover the war for this publication called Colliers Weekly. And soon Martha, who like I said was 28 and Hemingway 37, became lovers. While in Spain, Martha put so much heart and energy into the writing pieces she created. Her pieces on this time were actually difficult to find in print today, but apparently they revealed a gift for unflinching observation and unforced pathos and were much better than Hemingway's. That's a quote from Mark Weingarten from Washington Post. And she'd said numerous times, you know, journalism was education for her. She wrote, writing is payment for the chance to look and learn. And so professionally after this, her career really took off. She was covering Russia's war against Finland in 1939 and really had so much energy left for writing. And so in her personal life, Martha and Hemingway got married in November of 1940. 
And soon after, she took him along to Hong Kong with her so she could write for the same publication, uh, Colliers, about the Chinese army's retreat from the Japanese invasion. So she trucked across China with Hemingway. And while she was there, she became increasingly critical of the United States, which she deemed, quote, a colonial power. And so it was then that she kind of decided in her head to remain abroad basically for good. And it was during this time when she was doing so well in her journalism career that her marriage started to turn sour. He wanted her to be an attentive, respectful wife, and she wanted to live life just like he did. And she was idealistic. She saw things as they should be or could be. You know, she really favored and just championed justice, obviously, not just accepting things for what they are. She wanted change, and especially after witnessing slave labor conditions in Hong Kong, she felt this way, and Hemingway stubbornly kind of accepted the world as it was, not thinking anything could change. He was super cynical. They definitely clashed. They both had terrible hot tempers, and things essentially took a turn for the worse. Worst? Took a turn for the worse? Is that how you say that thing? I don't even know. Hey guys, it's Cheyenne Davis. You may know me from MTV's Teen Mom OG or Think Loud Crew podcast. I'm here with my dad, Papa Floyd, to tell you about our new podcast, Unfiltered Kitchen. The kitchen is the hub of the household for many of us. The one-stop shop for conversations both big and small. Cheyenne and I have been having open conversations about all aspects of life in our kitchen since well before she was able to see over the counter. And now we're inviting you into our own kitchen as a part of the family. Unfiltered Kitchen is a two-way street. I share my advice on cocktails, cooking, parenting, and the lessons I've learned. And I inform my dad what it's like to raise kids today, how generational barriers affect us, and the joys of being a daughter. Well, your daughter. Get ready for a whole lot of unfiltered advice. You can take it or leave it, but you're never going to leave this table feeling hungry for more. Listen to Unfiltered Kitchen wherever you get your podcasts. Anyway, so she's quoted as saying, Ernest and I really are afraid of each other, each one knowing that the other is the most violent person either one knows. She wrote this as quoted by Weingarten. Um, And they broke off their marriage, of course. Uh, Martha actually reportedly left Hemingway. And she's, I guess, one of the only one of his wives to leave him um, in 1945 while they were staying at the Dorchester Hotel in London. So she left him. uh, She went on her own. And Hemingway later told his editor years later, quote, funny how it should take one war to start a woman in your damn heart and another to finish her. And so later on, Martha would call Hemingway a bully while he called her phony and pretentious. They really did not have very kind things to say about one another. Interestingly, enough there is this one quote that really stuck out to me uh, that Martha said saying quote my whole memory of sex with Ernest is the invention of excuses and failing that the hope that it would soon be over imagine someone saying that about you publicly oh my goodness okay anyway so in later years she became super bitter as I would too about having more fame for being Hemingway's ex than for her own work she said I will reiterate what she said um I was a writer before I met him and I've been a writer for 45 years since she complained according to the Chicago Tribune why should I be a footnote to someone else's life That quote, ladies and gentlemen, that is it. And so, yeah, it definitely frustrates me that 
she gets a lot of credit for just being Hemingway's wife. She did so many other things. So I want to talk about a lot of her achievements and the things that she covered and just the ballsy moves that she, or not ballsy, I hate that I say ballsy because it's like such a guy term. So uterusy, <laughs> crazy moves. So a, a few of these being, uh, she covered the Blitz in London, which as we know is a, a German bombing campaign. So she did that. She was so brave. And then on D-Day, this is actually when she's still married to Hemingway technically, Uh, They were on the outs, as we know, but this was in 1944, of course, and so this was the Allied invasion of Normandy, and Hemingway, kind of drama, he was hired by Colliers to cover the D-Day landing in France, but uh, she found a way to get there. Martha found a way to make it. She stowed away on a hospital ship in the bathrooms with a flask of whiskey, funny enough, and she snuck ashore pretending to be a stretcher bearer, and so she was actually the only woman on the beaches of Normandy in the days after troops stormed the area. She wasn't even supposed to be there, and yet she was. She also convinced British pilots to let her go along on night bombing raids over Germany. And then when the Allies liberated Dachau concentration camp in Munich, or I guess near Munich, I've actually been there, interestingly enough, when I was in Munich abroad, I visited this concentration camp and got to hear all about it, and it was the most harrowing experience just so crazy and she was actually there when this happened to write about it and this would actually change the course of her life forever because these the things that she saw really really impacted her and to quote one of her articles uh, from her time there it says behind the barbed wire and the electric fence the skeletons sat in the sun and searched themselves for lice they had no age and no faces they all looked alike and like nothing you will ever see if you were lucky and her time there understandably really impacted her outlook on life. I think she kind of, you know, she saw the dark truth of what, you know, humans can do to other humans and it really, really forever impacted her. Um, And in terms of her overall reporting style, she focused on the truth and nothing but the truth, but she did uh, have an interesting like kind of fiction style to her writing. She really did have a lot of detail in there, which I really appreciate. And so she said about her her reporting, gradually I came to realize that people will more readily swallow lies than truth, as if the taste of lies was homey, appetizing, a habit, she said. After World War II in 1948, maybe she was looking to be a bit more maternal in her ways, or she was just so affected by what she saw that... I'm not really sure, but she adopted a boy, essentially, named Sandro in Italy and raised him mostly all in her own in Mexico. She wasn't married at this time. Um, In some other countries where she supported herself writing articles for women's magazines. And he was formally renamed George Alexander Gellhorn, but was widely referred to as Sandy, kind of a nickname from his original name. And she was reportedly, Martha was like a, a devoted good mother for a time, but by nature she was not very maternal essentially. So she left Sandy in the care of her relatives in New Jersey for long periods of time as she traveled for work and he eventually went to boarding school. And apparently their relationship was rocky as he grew, um, but it's kind of hard to say. There's like conflicting reports. Some people, some of her friends said that she was a great mother and there's just all sorts of things on that. So nothing too conclusive. But between marriages and after divorcing Hemingway in 1945, Martha had a slew of different romances 
with various businessmen, journalists, doctors, and more. But she didn't get married again until T.S. Matthews. This was the former managing editor of Time magazine. And they got married in 1954, and they remained married for nine years, divorcing in 1963. And essentially, she just was not the marrying type. She found married life to be too boring, said the New York Times. Hence why I haven't really focused too, too much on her relationships during this episode. Like, I feel like I touched a little bit on Hemingway and, you know, a little bit here and there, but for the most part, her work was her, her everything. And so in her later life, she spent her last 15 years shuttling between this small cottage in Wales and an apartment in London and the world's, quote, trouble spots. She continued her reporting. She continued writing and doing all of her jobs. And her South Kensington apartment uh, in London became a kind of salon for writers and foreign correspondents, like an area to hang out and to chat. And at the age of 81, she took on her last reporting venture on the U.S. invasion of Panama. So she was 28 when she took on her first reporting job on a war and in her 80s when she took on her last. That's a very long career. She covered nearly every single major war conflict of the 20th century. She kind of made it her goal to awaken the people that were reading her pieces and, you know, kind of shake people awake to the idea of we have to do something about this because there is so much injustice going on in the world. So many people are suffering and she really did capture the suffering of people in a way that you know, motivated people, mobilized people to do something about it. And that is honestly what I'm most inspired by of her work. She had so many famous quotes and I've like said a bunch of them already, but one other one that I haven't touched on says, be advised, love passes, work alone remains. Not sure if this is like particularly healthy. Uh, She does sound like a little bit like she maybe was a workaholic, but she definitely, you know, just focused on her craft and what she loves. And she didn't love the notion of, you know, a woman has one job, being in the home, having a family. Like she saw past that and saw that she could do everything that a man could. And it honestly was super inspiring. She continued working until the very end. So she had this old rickety typewriter that she typed away on until 1992. That was when this cataract operation she had on her eyes left her with super messed up eyesight. So she could no longer see perfectly. She couldn't see the keys. And she felt she was just too old to learn how to dictate or whatever, you know, speak to someone else. Like she just decided that enough was enough, she was done. And despite losing her eyesight though, she actually never lost that fiery spirit that we know her as having. She chain smoked, ate whatever she wanted, drank whatever she wanted until the end. And she said uh, in this one interview, it bores me all that health stuff. She actually told one woman who came to interview her later in life that she had to just stop. Uh, The conversation is so boring, I think I'm gonna faint, she said. And so in London, just six years after she quit writing um, and after a long, long battle with liver and ovarian cancer, she passed away. Um, Trigger warning, suicide. She committed suicide with a cyanide capsule on February 15th, 1998. And that concluded her 
life, her legacy, it was incredible. And I think that we are still impacted today. The fact that she was just such a trailblazer for women in the reporting field and just had such an amazing spirit. I wish that I could speak to her today because I feel like it would be, she'd be a riot, honestly, and so interesting. Um, Something notable to wrap things up, she actually did say some things, pretty self-deprecating things about her writing despite her success that honestly I found really relatable. While Martha was still alive, she joked that after her death, she wanted a bench in Kew Gardens, which is a botanical garden in southwest London, in her name with the words, quote, underrated writer underneath. Her insecurity about her writing never left her, largely placed upon her by Hemingway, the huge weight of his being in her life, even though they only were married for five years. She was constantly reminded of him, constantly reminded of his success. And even in this one fight they had, I I don't believe it was, maybe it was during their marriage or maybe shortly after, it was a fight where he basically said that like long after you're, you're gone and there's maggots in your body, people will still know my work or something like that. I, I don't know. Basically, she had a lot of doubts about her own work and she actually said, um, you know, she, she knew she was a great journalist and she was this author of so many novels, novellas, short stories, but she noted that there was an absence of magic in her work, in her own work, and she wished there was more magic in her work. But I don't think she ever truly saw herself as we see her now and as people who read her work had seen her even then like I don't think she realized the impact of her own work and the strength of her own being I don't think she ever did and so she you know consistently noted that Hemingway had a magic in his work she was such a fan of his work even before they were married and I think she always kind of felt this inadequacy uh, related to that and so It's kind of sad, but it's also super relatable because I feel like a lot of us people, a lot of us creative people especially, feel that way about our own work. I was doing some paintings yesterday um, and I just like, I stopped like midway through painting and looked at what I made and I was like, this is horrible. Like I was just so self-deprecating and so just down on myself and I didn't see any magic in the work I was making. And honestly, I look at some things that I do sometimes and I'm just like, how do people even like this? Like I don't feel anything towards this and I feel like I could do so much better and there's people out there that are so much better than me at things and the imposter syndrome creeps in and all of those emotions and Martha Gellhorn despite how honestly you heard how excited I was to share her story I think she's incredible she's such a badass and she did so many things and made such a name for herself and you know she felt like that too so it really just honestly makes me feel a bit better that she felt that way about her work and I think that she's magic and I can't wait to read more about her a lot of you guys since I posted about her on my story have recommended all these books that I should read about her just to continue my research into her and movies I think Nicole Kidman played her in one film so essentially I'm going to keep on looking into Martha because I think this is only the beginning of her story and so I do want to just kind of in conclusion Martha Gellhorn she was difficult to describe in mere words she had a fiery spirit such a complex mind and she made things happen against all odds and she went with her gut she had intense bravery fierceness and talent for writing despite what she says about herself and I'll end with a quote from Janet Somerville who's an author that did a lot of work and research on 
on Martha. She said, no one said no to Martha Gellhorn. If they did say no to Martha Gellhorn, she didn't pay any mind. She just decided if she wanted to do something, she would do it. Mic drop. That's incredible. So guys, that was my episode today. Hope you all enjoyed hearing about Martha Gellhorn. Like I said, this is just the tip of the iceberg with her story. There's so much more I'm going to look into about her and maybe share more in the future. But this is kind of the Spark Notes version of her story, which was so richly colorful. And then I also shared all of those book racks with you guys, which I hope you guys will pick up. And yeah, until next week, everyone. Talk to you later. Bye. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good and then a bang in the night and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've I've seen it all go south. I own a home and I can tell you, I know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.